<clears throat> we're in Revelation. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. We're in, we're in Isaiah. You'd like to be in Revelation? Uh, have you? Well, well, that, I, <laughs> I want to just take us back because we're, we're in Revel. Isaiah. I don't know where that's even coming from. In Isaiah 23 this morning, we're at the end of a, of a whole series of oracles against the foreign nations. And this is just, just to review. That's what we've come through. We're coming down now to, to the message against Tyre. And uh, uh, then we're going to retire this whole passage. But uh, I know, I know. I would, I would apologize, but I'm going to do it again, so I, it's no real honesty in any apology on that. But this is the summary we've been using of this. Chapters 13 to 23 seem to be saying that since the glory of the nations, chapters 13 and 14, equals nothing, and since the scheming of the nations, chapters 14 to 18, equals nothing, and since the wisdom of the nations, chapters 19 and 20, equals nothing, and since the vision of this nation, and he's talking about Israel, chapter 21, 22, equals nothing. And since the wealth of the nations, chapter 23, equals nothing, then don't trust the nations. Are you with me? So, so um, that's, that's the point of this whole passage as far as I can tell. We'll, we'll say a little bit more about it as we go through chapter 23. It's a rather brief passage. Next Sunday, Lord willing, <clears throat> I intend to uh, take some time off from Isaiah as we've been doing over time. Um, instead of trying to plow through chapters 1 to 66, Sunday by Sunday, uh, to take some time off and do something different. So what I want to do is take us to three prophets in the next three weeks um, Hosea, uh, Amos, and Micah, who are rough contemporaries. They're 8th century prophets along with Isaiah. Uh, to do it properly, we'd have also brought in Jonah, because Jonah is also an 8th century prophet. But um, the story of Jonah, at least the, the whale stuff, you know, yes? But, um, yeah, uh, the Hosea, Amos, and, and Micah are less trodden territory for most of us, so I thought it might be useful to go back and, and uh, lay just one one Sunday per book and let us kind of see the overall message of the book and how it works. So that's the plan. Pardon? Hosea, Amos, and Micah. So um, we'll go on and work with that. Tyre is the subject of the, of the chapter 23. Tyre is the great city on the Mediterranean. It's in, it was in what is today Lebanon, uh, or what's left of Lebanon anyway. Uh, it was the great city. It was founded in the 24th century B.C., amazingly enough, <laughs> and remained a major um, city in the eastern Mediterranean for all those centuries. And we're down to the 8th century B.C. as we're coming to this passage in Isaiah. <laughs> there are only a few miles between the beach and the mountains where, where Tyre is. I'm saying this as if I actually knew this. <laughs> Never been there. But, but only a few miles. So there's, there's very little room for Tyre to turn inland. It became, therefore, a major... Um, colonizing force in the, ancient, in, in the ancient Mediterranean. Famous cities that you know, Marseille, for example, Syracuse in, in Sicily, uh, were founded by the, uh, the uh, Phoenicians, uh, the, the people of Tyre. There's a famous city on the north coast of, of Africa named Carthage. It's an ancient city. It was destroyed many years ago, of course, uh, 20 two centuries ago, um, Carthage and Rome were vying. Because of the way the Mediterranean is set up, you have Sicily between Carthage and Italy. And that meant you either had to go north around Syria, uh, Sicily to go to the uh, eastern, western Mediterranean, or you had to go south uh, just between 
Sicily and Africa to get to the Western Mediterranean. So one of those two cities had to control mer merchant traffic between the East and the West, and they fought three, is it three, Punic Wars, uh, but Carthage is a, is a foundation of the, of the Tyrian people. Uh, do you know the names? Car Carthage is a Phoenician word that means new city. Uh, do you remember Kiriat Jearim in the Old Testament? K-I-R-I-A-T-H. Read the Bible. It sheds enormous light on the commentaries. Uh, but Kiriat in Hebrew means city or town, and, and Kurt Ag is new city. Um, uh, Hannibal, you know the name Hannibal, at least from the movie, yes? Uh, honey, honey ball. Baal is merciful. Yeah. When we were, um, I forget which country it was, but they, they said Phoenicia was the name given to the, by the Greeks to these yeah. people. They were actually Canaanites. Yeah, it's a Canaanite people. And Hebrew is a Canaanite language. So you've got all this going on. This is all the background of this place. Yes, Fred? I don't know. It's, on, it's in North Africa. Yeah, Hippo is in North Africa, but I'm not sure. That was centuries later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. Tyre, with the 6th century, 7th century BC, ceases, essentially ceases to exist. There's a small village there now, but um, it, there, there's no tie between the two places. Um, the, the, the point here is that um, Carthage, I'm sorry, um, Tyre controlled um, the flow of merchandise in the Middle East and in the Eastern Mediterranean. So if you were going to get anything, and, and folks, they brought Aegean goods to the, to the Middle East and to Egypt. They took Egyptian goods to, the, to, to Greek lands. Are, am I making sense to you? And, and so... Everybody turned to Tyre because they had a great fleet and they were really good at, at, at sailing. Uh, so this is what we're going to be looking at as we go through. So let's start, verses 1 to 6. There's a taunt song over Tyre. <clears throat> the oracle concerning Tyre, Wail, O ships of Tarshish. <laughs> this is an ancient mosaic of a ship of Tarshish. <laughs> um, another... This one is a reconstruction, of course, as a small one, but you can see something about how the, the merchandise was carried in the ship and so forth. These were famous people. They were famous sailors. You, do you remember how often Israel went to, went to sea? It's because they hardly ever did. <laughs> uh, um, Jonah went to sea. For, for what purpose? To run away, to run away from... No, to run away from the Lord. Yeah, which made no sense because they said, well, who are you? I'm a servant of the, of the Most High God, the maker of heaven, earth, and the sea, and all that's in it. Right? You're going to run away from God to a place that he made. That makes, it's, it's irrational. But Jonah went to sea. Solomon sent a fleet out down the south on the, on the east coast of Africa um, and brought huge wealth back to uh, Jerusalem. And then, in the days of um, Jehoshaphat, uh, who was a gymnast, jumping Jehoshaphat, that's where that phrase comes from. <laughs> Told you I, I would apologize, but I'm going to do it again, so there's no sense in apologizing. So, in the days of Jehoshaphat, he was planning a fleet to go out as well, but for an unstated reason, nothing in the text tells us exactly what happened. The fleet never set sail. So Israel just simply tried to avoid the sea as much as they could. Um, one of the ways of, of thinking about this is in the book of Proverbs. There are Proverbs that, especially toward the end of the book, chapters 29 and 30, you have the numerical Proverbs. There are three things that are too marvelous for me, even four that are too difficult. Um, the way of a, an eagle in the sky the way of a, a, a snake on a rock, the way of a ship in the sea. It was, it was inconceivable. You, why, why would you go to sea? The sea is something that opposes God. 
uh, Tyre has made its whole life the sea. Are you with me here? So as we go through this, this is the background. They are the great power. They, they don't wield a great army, but they are exceedingly powerful financially. They, they determine the future of nations by the fact that they pick up your, your um, merchandise and sell it someplace. Does this make sense to you? Right, so, so this is a big, a big force in the eastern Mediterranean. Whale ships of Tyre, for Tyre is destroyed without house or harbor. It is reported to them from the land of Cyprus. So you start, the word gets out, and it keeps going out farther and farther and farther. So Cyprus would be, if you were a ship coming from the west, you would stop in Cyprus, which was partly controlled by Tyre, You'd stop in Cyprus, and that would be your last port of call before hitting the home base back in Tyre. So it's as if the word is getting out farther and farther. So first to Cyprus, then the ships that are, are, are uh, docked in Cyprus. Verse 2, be silent, you inhabitants of the coastland, um, you merchants of Sidon. Your messengers crossed the sea and were on many waters. The grain of the Nile, the harvest of the river, was her revenue, and she was the market of nations. Be ashamed. Oh, pardon? Oh, okay. Don't cough. I think you're wanting to say something. (laughs) Uh, And she was the market of the nations. Be ashamed, O Sidon. I must stop here and make one comment about this. Shame is not something you feel because you've done something bad precisely. That can be included in shame in Scripture, but it's not the only thing. You can be shamed of your power. Whatever you put your confidence in, if for whatever reason that thing in which you placed your confidence fails, you're covered with shame. Are you with me here? It's not that you're guilty and you've done something bad so much as that you put your confidence in the wrong thing. Uh, a New Testament passage that you may have puzzled over on this level is Romans 5, 3 to 5. Uh, not only so, but we boast in tribulation. That's precisely countercultural, not only for us, but for especially for the Roman Empire. We boast in tribulation knowing that the, um, uh, the testing of your faith works patience. And patience produces approved character, and a produ- approved character produces hope, and hope does not make ashamed. Um, hope and shame are not related concepts to us, but they are fundamentally related in Scripture because hope is, is confidence placed in an object. Does this make sense to you? Yes, no? When your hope is placed in the wrong object, the effect of the failure at the end is going to be shame. Does that make sense? So in the midst of trouble, I may place my confidence in the Lord. Are you with me here? Um, And therefore, I will never know shame because the Lord will never bring shame. He will always bring not, not so much what I want from him, but what, what is right and best and good and triumphant from him. Does that make sense to you? The, uh, uh, there, there are modern books written on this. I've only begun reading one on the issue of um, uh, honor and shame in the Bible and the impact that that ought to have on us. Folks, in China, our brothers and sisters there need feel no shame because they have the highest possible honor. They are, they are already identified with him whose, whose honor is infinite. So do what you will to us. We don't, you are not shaming us. We cannot be shamed. You cannot take away from what is infinite. Are you with me here? So, yes, Jim? This seems to be a commentary on the pause. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, all the way through his life. I, I'm reading through John just now, and I got to that point where uh, it's in uh, John 
8, I believe, where um, he's speaking to Jews and he says, you're trying to kill me. Uh, they say, they respond to him, haven't we said rightly that you are, you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? We were not born of fornication. <laughs> Wonder what they were talking about. Are you with me here? But there is no shame in Jesus because he is identified with the one who is infinite in honor. Are you with me here? So, yeah, you're right on target, Jim. Uh, absolutely. So the, the issue of um, uh, verse 4, be ashamed, O Sidon. Sidon is the smaller town in, in these days, in the 8th century B.C., Sidon is a much larger town now than, than Tyre, but in those days, Sidon was, very, was decidedly the, the, um, the younger sister, as it were, and so didn't get all the, all the credit that perhaps the people of Sidon thought they, they ought to get. Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea speaks, the stronghold of the sea. There's an interesting proposal. Uh, you have perhaps a different translation. This is a somewhat difficult verse to translate. There are a couple of them in the passage. But one possible translation is one of the chief gods of the, of the northern Canaanites was Yom, Sea. And you might guess, we don't know that much, we don't have any literature from ancient Tyre, but you might guess that for a seagoing people, one of the chief gods they would honor would be the sea. Yes? So uh, we might paraphrase this. The sea god speaks. O stronghold of the sea, uh, you, you need to know if, if Tyre had been there for 16 centuries, yes, then it probably hadn't been conquered much. And there, there's a reason for that. It was kind of a, every city in the ancient Near East was made up of two, large, two significant components. One would be a city would have some kind of fortress at the heart of the city where in trouble you could run and be safe. But then the people lived in villages around. Does that make sense to you? And did their work in the villages, lived there and so on. And you only went to the fortress in the case where you might have to get some help from the government. Does that make sense to you? But if you didn't have access to the government, there wasn't much sense in going into the city. Does that make sense? So the, the issue here is uh, Tyre was a fortress on a, on a reef. Uh, a, a, um, there's a reef there that was a small island, and they fortified the city there, but then most of the people lived on the mainland, and it was about, I've forgotten the numbers, it was uh, oh, 1,200 feet off, off shore, roughly, and so you, you, there was, you could get a boat back and forth, so forth. So, in time of war, everybody just went to the sea, right? They went to the fortress, and, and since most of the peoples of the ancient Near East were not seagoing peoples, then <clears throat> you, could, you could get uh, water from people coming in from outside the war zone, yes? Shipping water in, you could get food. So it was hard to besiege Tyre and take it. But now the fortress of the sea, look again at verse 4, Be ashamed, O Tyre, for the sea god speaks, O stronghold of the sea, saying, I have neither travailed nor given birth, I have neither brought up young men nor reared virgins. What is the point? All my people are being killed. When the report reaches Egypt, they will be in anguish at the report of Tyre. And I, I should point out, Ezekiel has a major, two chapters in Ezekiel are given over to a, a condemnation of Tyre. And in Revelation 18, you have the fall of Babylon. Uh, yes, you remember this? right? Fallen, fallen is, is, is Babylon the great. Much of that imagery is taken from the passages on Tyre. Uh, so there's a long string of merchandise that the merchants are standing back away from the city of Babylon, wailing over the destruction of the city, and talking about all the destruction of all the merchandise that they were hoping to make their lives 
livelihoods on. It's all gone. Are you with me here? So Tyre and Babylon turn out to be anticipating what the, um, the uh, uh, end time is going to be like, the great power. I was teaching Revelation in uh, India one year, and as I was going through, especially that passage, uh, Revelation 18, I thought, I can't read this without thinking of New York City. <laughs> uh, so I hope that's not it, but B-A-B-Y-L-O-N usually doesn't spell New York. Okay, so, so, <laughs> I, I, hmm? not so sure. Uh, yeah, well, I did learn to spell in elementary school, and it's usually the way it is. But, but the point here is, think of what all this means for all the nations of the earth. Uh, Tyre had pioneered, probably pioneered in, in the engineering of, of seagoing vessels. And now they're going to be destroyed. So verse 5, when the report reaches Egypt, they will be in anguish. What, who are they going to sell their grain to now? Um, I've mentioned to you before that in the ancient Near East, uh, they had not developed the, the capacity of of an axle <clears throat> with freely moving wheels. Uh, all the, the wheels were attached directly to the axle, and that meant that you couldn't ship heavy loads across the undeveloped roads that you would expect. Um, Richard, you mentioned uh, you know you're getting close to the town when you hit the potholes. I thought, when your axle breaks, you know you're at the place where the Lord wants you to do some ministry. So. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, uh, the issue here is now Egypt is going to have this glut of grain and they can't do anything with it. It's just going to rot. What, what, what do we do now? Pass over to Tarshish. Wail, O inhabitants of the coastland. And you'll notice the repetition from the early part, verse 2. Be silent, you inhabitants of the coastland. Now wail, O inhabitants of the coastland. Is this your jubilant city? whose origin is from antiquity, whose feet used to carry her to colonize distant places. Um, just a couple more pictures here related to Tyre. Um, here are perhaps, they, they, uh, they titled this in the uh, internet, Tyrian Ships. I'm not sure that's what they are. I think they would have to be. The, the art was capable of doing better than that for a whole ship. So these may be... Um, uh, boats taking merchandise out to the big ships to, to get them ready to, to ship. Um, so here, by the way, are all the places where the Tyrians did their uh, merchandise and so forth. Pam, could you go back to the map? Yeah, right there. Yeah. So is it, would that be Beirut? Roughly, yeah. yeah. But you'll see here, and, and I know you can't read this, but each of those boxes has the kind of merchandise that they would pick up from each site. So you can see all the, all the places where they were going. This, they served the ancient uh, eastern Mediterranean and made it possible for, for people to make money. Now, verses 7 to 14. Yahweh has purposed this. We read verse 7. Let's read on to verse 8. Who has planned this against Tyre, the bestower of crowns? Tyre, a bestower of crowns. Well, yeah, in two senses. One is whenever they founded a city, they appointed kings. Right? Does that make sense? And they, they one of their um, colonies was a place called Tarshish, Thus, the name ships of Tarshish, it has been it has been provisionally identified as a town just outside the Straits of Gibraltar on the south coast of uh, I guess it would be today Portugal, uh, Tartessus. They could they sail that far? Yeah, apparently they they went nearly half that way just to get to Carthage, and Mar Marseille is up on the south coast of France. Are, are you with me here? Yes, no. So. Uh, 
they're, make, they're bestower of crowns in that when they start a new colony, they appoint a king. But they're also bestower of crowns. If, if you ask too high a price for your merchandise, we're just going to go someplace else and get the same thing. We'll make them rich and we'll break you. You know, it's, you know how this works. You know? So, so uh, whose, prince, whose merchants were princes, whose traders were the honored of the earth. If a Tyrian merchant showed up at your shop door, your future was made. <laughs> Does that make sense? So, <laughs> you've all experienced, I say all, most of us have experienced door-to-door salesmen. Yes? Uh, yes? It's, it's been a while, but... Uh, Fuller Brush. Fuller <laughs> Brush. I remember the Fuller Brush man coming to my grandmother's door. Um, um, what Avon calling. What? what <laughs> What was your attitude toward door-to-door salesmen? Just, just get out of go oh, go away. Uh, what'd you call? Robocalls. Yeah, it's the same equivalent now. the The point I'm making is, if a Tyrian merchant shows up on your on your door, you're gonna roll out the red carpet. But is he there to buy? Yeah. That's what you're saying. That's yeah. Not the same as somebody coming to sell. That's true. But, but a merchant can be a merchant wherever he is. Does that make sense yeah, to you? It's more like Walmart. That's right. Saying, We're going to take your product. Yeah, like. yeah. So, so they're they're salesmen. Yes, and so um, the Lord of Hosts has planned it to defile the pride of all beauty, and that's kind of a um, summation of this whole passage. Indeed, it's kind of a summation of the whole segment of Isaiah 13 to 23. God's purpose is to defile the pride of all beauty because all beauty that is derived from or defined in any way absent God is no beauty at all. Uh, So the goal of this is to despise all the honored of the earth. What we as humans honor has nothing to do with what God honors. And as long as we honor something other than God, the only thing he can do with it is to destroy it, to shut us up so that we have nothing else to honor but him. And when he does that, as as in the book of Revelation, Linda, you, you keep driving me back to Revelation. But, uh, as, as in the book of Revelation, um, in, the, in, the, uh, in the trumpets, when the trumpets are, are being blown, is it the trumpets or the bulls? I can't recall. Um, at the end of, of about four of the, of the seven trumpets, and they did not repent, and they did not repent, and they did not repent. Are you with me? Um, the goal of the trumpets appears to be to get people to repent because in the trumpets you have judgments falling on a third of the earth. In the bowls, it's on the whole of the earth. So in the trumpets, a third of the earth would seem to be the point of that. Why a third, not the whole earth? Because it's, it's, a, it's a, a more severe warning than the seals were it's not as bad as it's going to get with the bowls. And so God seems to be saying, worse is coming. What are you going to do? And people don't repent. So the only thing he can do when people, when humanity, made in the image of God, worships their own image. And we've quoted this before, but Voltaire is supposed to have said, um, I think it was Voltaire, um, God created man in his own image and, and man has returned the favor. Um, so we start worshiping something other than God. That is what we said, I think, in the last week or two. Idolatry is not so much bowing down to a stick or a rock. Idolatry has in view uh, a power source that you can manipulate, 
and control to your own goals and, and purposes. Um, I remember thinking years ago, I know God answers prayer, he just doesn't answer mine. And um, um, I've, I've subsequently, pardon? I, I'm hearing things, but not things that are here. Uh, apparently, the, the, the prayers I was making were prayers for my goals that God should bless instead of trying to find out God's plan and praying about that. Does this make sense to you? So when my heart is God's heart and I pray, God will answer, he will grant the request. Um, But the request may be going to the cross. His plan may be going to the cross. Uh, So um, he must destroy all the honored of the earth because we think what we honor is something that can secure our future. We can control it. We can manipulate this. I know how to do this. I can manipulate this. I can make it work to my own purposes, and I can control things so that everything is going to work out right for me, you see. But therefore, for especially for us, his children, God has to destroy those things because if he doesn't, we never really learn to trust him. Verse 10 then. Overflow your land like the Nile, O daughter of Tarshish. There is no more restraint. He has stretched his hand out over the sea. He has made the kingdoms tremble. The Lord has given a command concerning Canaan to demolish its strongholds. He has said, you shall exalt no more, um, O crushed virgin daughter of Sidon. Uh, Crushed, oppressed is another word for that. And it can be used in the sense of a, a woman who's been raped. So this virgin daughter of Sidon is uh, the, the virgin daughter that Sidon is. Has turned out to be a prostitute and she's completely crushed. Verse 12. He has said, you shall exult no more, O crushed virgin daughter of Sidon arise pass over to Cyprus even there you will find no rest Cyprus is I think 75 miles from Tyre and they've got enough boats they can if if you've got to become a refugee to get away from Tyre then the good place to go would be to Cyprus but even even there there's no place for rest verse 13 behold the land of the Chaldeans this is the people which, uh, which was not. Assyria appointed it for desert creatures. They, are, they erected their siege towers. They stripped, and stripped its palaces. They made it a ruin. Uh, verse 14, we'll go on with this. Uh, Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your stronghold is destroyed. Why bring up the Chaldeans? The Chaldeans, this is 8th century B.C., the Chaldeans weren't even a, a factor in the 8th century. They don't become a significant factor uh, until the um, late 7th century. So we've got a full century left before they're a huge factor. However, um, we've already mentioned the, the event in, recorded in Isaiah 38 and 39, the illness of Hezekiah from which he's healed. Do you remember this? Yes? And Merodach Baladan, we mentioned him last week, the king of Babylon, sends to Hezekiah. He's apparently trying to cook up an alliance against the Assyrians to throw off their power, break up their power, and and, um, uh, free everybody from the oppression of Assyria. Assyria was in dominant power for four, five, six centuries. Amazing longevity. Um, The Babylonian king was one of these Chaldeans. They lived in, as I mentioned to you last week, they lived on, in huts. Some of them did lived on huts that were floating in the marshes in the in the southern portion of the Euphrates River as it fed into the Persian Gulf. Um, and so, Merodach Baladan may be the the fellow who's behind this passage about the Chaldeans. But if the people you honor, the people you 
you think might make great allies are destroyed, what hope is there for you? So he ends the passage, verse 14, Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for your stronghold is destroyed. Um, here, here is uh, a, a, some Assyrian battle scenes. We'll, we'll see this in the passage that follows here. For you see the, the cart in the middle, kind of? Mm-hmm. Yes. This is a battering ram being brought up to a, to a uh, city wall to batter it down. And you have uh, over on the, on the left, you have the men climbing ladders to attack the, the battlements and so forth. This is Assyrian art. Uh, I kept looking for other kinds of scenes. I'm not sure how widespread this is. Assyrian art took took three forms. It focused either on the divine, so pictures of the gods and interacting with, especially with the king, because the king belonged in the sphere of the divine. Then there would be hunting scenes, uh, kings hunting lions and and so forth. And then there were war scenes. This this was the art that they they don't have just art like the the um, if if you've ever seen any Minoan art of uh, um, um, bull bull leaping have you ever seen any of this or just flowers they don't have anything just like that it's just it's always either either they're gods or something destructive yes ma'am. Yeah, they're they're yeah they're impaled on st- yeah they're impaled on spikes on the city wall. Um, down down here. Down here. Yeah, uh, it it may be. I can't really see it. Yeah, it's another man that he's a, he's a k- killing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a recounting of this. This may actually be. Uh, is this from the British Museum? Um, I can't tell where it's from. This, may, if it's from the British Museum, it may actually be um, art from the conquest of the city of Lachish, which was a fortress city of Jerusalem down in the southwest of Jerusalem. Um, there were five major approaches to the city of Jerusalem. Lachish was a fortress that guarded one of those five approaches, a powerful city. And so uh, they, took the, uh, uh, they took the story back to Babylon, and in one of the palaces they had a big relief carved out of the capture of Lachish because it was a big, big victory for them. Um, here is the battering ram working a little more uh, and you can see the archers trying to, to, to defeat it. But at the top of the battering ram, there's a battlement, and the Assyrian archers are able to, to hit at the top while the, to protect the people at the bottom who are operating the battering ram. So um, here they're throwing torches, those, those uh, things that are falling upon the, uh, upon the tower there are torches trying to burn the attack engines and so on. So uh, here, here it is again. Boy, they just had a lot of this kind of thing going on. Uh, here is King Esarhaddon's stela standing 10.5 feet high, portrays the Assyrian monarch on the left, <laughs> raising a cup in his right hand and holding in his left hand a mace and two ropes. On the bottom right are the pharaoh of Egypt, Tirhaka, and Batlu, the king of Tyre. Batlu means Baal. Huh. <laughs> What's a stella? It's a, stat, a kind of a column uh, that stands up straight, and you can you carve on it and do different things with it. So. Jim, earlier you said one of the gods was Yom. Is that like the preface to Yom Kippur? No. No? No, that's a different word. That's Yom. That was Yom. Uh, so there, there, now you can see it better. Thank you. I appreciate that. They might, might just leave it off. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks. Let me go back over these 
you can see them perhaps a little better now. Um, here, here are the torches up here being thrown down on the attack engine, um, etc. So, um, now verses 15 to 18. Um, now in that day, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years. Isn't that interesting? I don't know. Um, that was the length of time of Israel. That's right, yeah. And in Israel's history, he said this is, that was the length of time for Israel's captivity in Babylon. Um, and it's not absolutely certain when that 70 years began for Israel. The first captivity of the land was in, uh, the, first, the first captives taken from the land of Israel by the Babylonians went off in 605 B.C. The second group left in 597 B.C. and the third group left in 586 after the destruction of the temple. So you've got three captivities. What's interesting is they all work on a 70-year basis because the first captives go back, go off in 605. The first returnees come back in 535. <laughs> Are you with me here? The temple is destroyed in 586. The completion of the building of the temple, I'm sorry, the start of the rebuilding of the temple in earnest is in 516 B.C., so 70 years. Are you with me here? So how do you work this out? What is the, what's going on there? I'm not sure about the 70 years, but we have a clear beginning date and a clear ending date. Does that make sense? For Tyre, we just, I, I don't know enough, and none of the commentators know enough about the history of Tyre to be able to say whether the 70 years is, is a specific event that's countable or not. Um, you know the, word, the, the number seven is a, is a symbolic number. doesn't mean that it, it has no referent in the real world. Uh, there are seven cities in, in Revelation, yes, seven churches of Revelation. Um, the number is probably meaningful beyond its countability in the sense of the seven churches are seven stars that Jesus holds in his right hand. Do you remember this in Revelation 1? This would be a, that, that would communicate in Roman imperial times, that would communicate that Jesus holds the true empire in his right hand. Are you with me here? The Roman is not the true empire. The, the church is the true empire. Um, there are many other churches than just those seven. So the seven are not symbolic and therefore have no physical reality, but they have more meaning than simply the physical reality of the church. Does that make sense to you? So to say that they're symbolic doesn't mean that they don't exist in the real world. It just means that they mean more than they appear to say. Um, just like a stop sign means more than it appears to say. Yes? Um, so um, 70 may here be symbolic. And once we know more about the history of Tyre, maybe we can say what the 70 specifically refers to. I don't have any information that would help me on this. At the end of 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the Song of the Harlot. Take your harp. Walk about the city, O forgotten harlot. Pluck the strings skillfully. Sing many songs that you may be remembered. She's forgotten. It will come about at the end of 70 years that the Lord will visit Tyre. What does it mean to visit In this case, it means to revive uh, or to, to restore. To visit in Hebrew is a, is, a, is a very, very broad word. It can mean to visit with judgment or it can mean to visit with forgiveness and, and uh, restoration. And the, the number of years, the seven years, could that also mean the judgment on Tyre is limited? Yeah. Start yeah. Right? Yeah. So there's coming a time... We haven't seen it yet, but watch this. The, the Lord will visit Tyre. Then she will, uh, she will go back to her harlot's wages. I suspect what's going on here is that the harlot's wages are the wages that she earned by buying and selling things. Are you with me here? 
So she's going to be... Ca- yeah, and it gets it gets stranger. It, it this this isn't as strange as it's going to get. So does James pick up on that when he says you adulterers and adulteresses? Um, not precisely. It's a different category than harlotry. Um, but um, let me read this. So uh, at the end of seventy years, it will is a, verse seventeen. Then she will go back to her harlot's wages and will play the harlot with all the kingdoms on the face of the earth. Merchant City. Her gain and her harlot's wages will be set apart to the Lord. It will not be stored up or hoarded, but her grain will become sufficient food and choice attire for those who dwell in the presence of the Lord. So all the wages of Tyre will not aggrandize Tyre. They won't make it powerful. It will be turned over to the Lord for special purpose of providing Food and sustenance for the priesthood <laughs> in Jerusalem. I said it was going to get worse. <laughs> uh, indeed, Deuteronomy says this is not even acceptable. This is why I think we have to read the, the harlotry here as merchandise, you know, buying and selling things, not, not sexual uh, harlotry. I should add that sexual har- harlotry was often used in the prophets as a reference to idolatry without reference to the sexual nature of the idolatry precisely, but for Israel to go seek another god to worship is like leaving their husband and going to look for another lover. And Hosea, will talk about that in Hosea too. Uh, yes? So by saying the harlotry is regarding trade, meaning the trade is not sexual, but it's the Not necessarily. It's just that she's going to be like she was, only for a different purpose. Yeah, yeah, Derek. I'm assuming this is kind of a reference passage to what Jesus talked about. You cannot serve both God and man. So it's almost yeah. as if, if I understand correctly, their harlotry is kind of indicating that they're not putting their faith and trust in the Lord. I, I don't, and I'm not sure that that would be the point. The same thing is happening to Tyre that has been promised to um, Assyria and to Egypt in, Exodus, in Isaiah 19. And it's the same thing that's promised to Israel. Throughout the, throughout the book. So after judgment comes deliverance, but now God will turn what used to be harlotry to good purpose. Yeah, it, says it goes back to the Lord. Yeah, it goes back to the Lord. Yes, sir. That's more, more information than I have at this point. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but Sidon was much the larger city, though. Go ahead. Now, I guess the point is, is this talking about a period where Tyre and Sidon, which are really small villages now, are revived again as large burgers and some point in the future? That's the way I read it. That that doesn't mean that's what it means, but that's the way I read it. Yes, ma'am. So is there an element of uh, forgiveness and repentance there, then? Yeah. This is... This is the stunning thing. We've been through this passage now in chapters 13 to 23, and we'll just bring it to an end with this. The um, oracles against the foreign nations. There are various prophets that have sets of these. Amos has one, and we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But the, the point of the oracles against the foreign nations is that they are to be judged. Here, in Isaiah, the point is, if if if... Israel fears these people or trusts these people. There's no reason for fearing them or trusting them because God's going to destroy them. So quit trusting them. Start trusting the Lord. The Lord is in control. The Lord has the nations in his hand. He has not forfeited. He has not abdicated his rule. He is still in control. And that means, among many other things, that he allows people a lot of rope to hang themselves with. Are you with me here? Maybe that's where we are in our nation's history. Um, and as, as he allows them ro- a rope to, to hang themselves, the people of God are inclined to think they're so powerful. Their methods, their, their purposes, their ways are surely the things that we must adopt. 
No. You must adopt not the harlotry of Tyre. You must adopt the ways of the Lord. Stop praying for your goals to be accomplished. Find what God's goals are. Get involved in God's goals. And then as you pray, you will find your prayers being answered. What we do, and frequently in Bible teaching, what we do is we leave people with the impression, well, if you're not a missionary, if you're not a Bible teacher or a preacher, or, or then you're really not in service of the Lord. No, all of us are. There is no such thing as laity in the body of Christ. We're all in ministry. Then your task, what, what Malcolm was talking about today, is, is critical. He's from Australia. I may call him Malcolm. He, call, he called me Jim when I went out to see him. So we, we knew each other briefly um, when he was a student. But um, what he was talking about today is, folks, you, your task is where you are to be the representative of Jesus. But your task is not, as um, at some point we may deal with Haggai, <clears throat> I don't have time, time is up, I should be stopping but let me take just a minute or two. Haggai is ministering to a people who thought they were being returned from Babylonian captivity to live in the land. They were not. Ezra 1, the king of, Sir, of, of, of Persia tells them they're to go back and rebuild the temple. <clears throat> Haggai tells them, you were sent back to build the temple. Are you with me here? But they thought they were being sent back to live. That was not their purpose. Their purpose was to build the temple. And Haggai 1 says, because, you have, because my house is desolate, your land is desolate. You're not here to make a living. You are here to serve the reputation of Jesus. Um, that's not for people who are being paid. The deacon came up to the pastor one day and said, Pastor, you keep talking to us about our morals, but he said, you're good because you're paid to be good. And the pastor said to the deacon, yes, and I guess that would mean you're good for nothing. Bada bing. The issue for us is we must not think of certain people as being in the ministry and others being not in the ministry. All of us are. We are the priests of the Most High God. And as the priests of the Most High God, all of us have our place of ministry. All of us have our task. And our task is not to make a living. It is not to retire. It is to serve the purposes of the living God. Find out what those purposes are. Organize your life in light of them. And then you may pray what the psalmist prays is, you always hear my prayers. Let's close with prayer. Father, you are the God who is the God of all the nations, not all the earth is yours. We forget that, and we get worried about uh, rival nations and what they might do. We get worried about political groups in, in our country and what they might do. All of them are in your hand. Not one of them is out of your control. Everything you have working out toward a good and proper end for this world. Now, teach us to find our place in it, Father, and to be able to trust you for your purposes and understand that the way that leads to life is the narrow gate and the restricted way. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>